Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. And this is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of, oh, it's all went to hell, and where shall we go? Wait a second, we know all these people that have lots of great stuff. Where do they get those wonderful toys? Indeed. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier. Uh, this week we are doing a follow-up of our earlier apocalypse um uh, post-apocalyptic, Bureau 13, Fringeworthy, whatever, but mostly Bureau 13, because we realized after we got it done that we really hadn't talk, talked about regional teams. Now, we did a super good explanation of how to set up a regional team and a regional base. You know, these are the people that support like a, I don't know, it, it, can, it can vary, but let's say about a four-state area. You know, uh, some of the more obvious ones are what, you know, Bangor, Maine, that is actually up there in the, in that, the New England area. Um, there's, uh, there's one in, in Vegas. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, uh, John Ryer was always talking about, uh, uh, Team Fremont. Yeah, up, up in Seattle. Up yeah. in Seattle. And then, uh, Candlestick was up in the Michigan area. And that's, uh, Trav's, you know, um. Yeah, they covered the Midwest. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, and so these, these teams were, dev uh, devised to be, you know, to cover an area and not range all over the country like the traveling teams. So when there's an apocalypse of some kind, then, you know, these, these bases can be enormous uh, resources for their surrounding community, any roving teams that are left, and for the continued work of the bureau. As it, you know, because even though there's an apocalypse, doesn't mean there isn't supernatural to police. You know, As a matter of fact, a lot of times supernatural comes crawling out of the woodwork when that sort of thing happens, right, Trev? Well, because there's less incursion of humans. In their territories. And so, the, and I mean, yeah, they're also going to be looking for food because they realize, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> we need to go out to get more food to make, you know, we need to find where these humans are left. So we have, you know, those supernatural that, you know, feed on humans in one way or another, right. physically, emotionally, what have you. Yeah, uh, I would I would contest that statement because usually, you know, in a lot of these kinds of apocalypse, urban areas get hit the hardest. Yeah. And so yeah. anybody who's in an urban area is going to turn around and flee to the countryside. Well, that's going to encroach on those habitats like nobody's business. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you might, and you might, so they, they supernatural that might have been perfectly happy out in the Allegheny forests or, uh, you know, the, along the Appalachian Trail down here in, in Georgia or Rockies or all those other places might suddenly find all these people camping permanently, you know, in their, you know, backyard, as it were. Well, yeah. I was going to say their historical or traditional sites. 
Anyways, I'm just saying is, so, so what we wanted to do is we wanted to talk about the regional team specifically because, um, and of course, this and their support, which is the roving teams. The last podcast we did about this, uh, which has been released, we talked primarily about how Bangor, Maine supports the uh, roving teams and such. So, uh so we're, we're, we're basically going to ignore that because we've already covered it. And we do recommend that you go back and check out those episodes. So what I uh, wanted to do is basically start off by talking about what are the resources and such that you would expect to find in a base. And now, like, like I mentioned before, before we go to that, go see episodes 498 and 499, which is called Building Bases, which was a really stupid name because when I tried to search for regional teams, I couldn't find anything on them. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so Building Bases really refers to building Bureau 13 regional teams. So go check those out, you know, because we did a, we covered a whole lot of how you, what you would go into building a base under normal circumstances. Okay, now we're going to talk about what what's actually there when it all goes to hell. So, uh, Trav, you want to start off? Yeah. Um, as I said, these bases are going to be focal points for any remaining Bureau 13 agents left. Um, yeah, the Bureau, if they had warning and with the stuff that they have, they would be better prepared for it. But there is that chance that some bureau teams might be taken out by whatever major event causes the apocalypse. So their bases anyways, usually bureau bases are well-prepared, well-stocked, uh, well-built, possibly using uh, advanced construction techniques and technologies. And so these places are going to be like armored bunkers. They're going to be sturdy, uh, they might be, what's the term? Hardened. Yeah, hardened. Well, not, I mean, hardened construction-wise, but also... Hermetically sealed? That That's the term. Thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where, oh, we could survive in here for a year with our supplies and recycled air and, you know. And also, uh, anti-EMP. Tempest hardened. Yeah, they where, would be hardened. Yeah. So, these bases, first and foremost, would just be having all sorts of protection against all sorts of problems where a team could hunker down there for an extended amount of time and survive quite readily. They would have the supplies. They would have the air. They would have food, water, just what they need in order to get by until, let's say, this apocalypse is a drawn-out event. Let's say it's like a plague. They'll be able to stay under for a year and be totally protected against this plague, and then when you know things quiet down, they can come out and explore and see what is left and what happens. So, all right. yeah, definitely an armored location with upgraded structure and resources of all types. Now, one of the things you know we, we wanted to, uh, to mention is is that one of the as in all Bureau Thirteen, ever since they had the um, Colorado RV and they talked about the Bureau computer, you know, every facility that's that's active generally will have a Bureau supercomputer in it. All right, so this thing is going to have, you know, so what's going to be in it? You know, why, you know, and and you first have to look at what a regional team would need for their normal operations, and then, you know, go from there out a little distance to say, what other stuff would they have? So the first thing I would think they would have, would they would have structural floor plans for all major buildings in the area, okay? And 
and and the question I had listed in the notes for the uh, for the other hosts was, should we assume all buildings at this point? Because you know it's the twenty first century, um, storage is cheap, and you know hacking is you know pretty darn good. So and they've had lots of time to gather this information. Because originally, you know, I'm sure they were like burglaring offices, you know, in, in, in various, you know, going through all the, you know, getting the registers. And, you know, uh, if, if you got some of the supplements uh, uh, for Bureau 13, they had this one device at the time, which was literally a book uh, reader. You had a camera on top. Um, and you put a book into a little cradle, and it had a little robot arm that would flip the pages and take a picture of each of the pages, where then later on it would do OCR to get all the information of it so you could search for it. And you just, you know, crank through a couple hundred pages uh, of a book in like a minute, and then you bring the next book and the next book and the next book and whatever, and you could do that for all these big ledgers and... Um, and, and the, these file cabinets full of uh, architecture plans and things like that. So the que- question is: Is it is that all, or do you still, you know, is is are you still at the point now where if it wasn't if it wasn't online, you know, if the local uh, government didn't put it, you know, online for their own uses for the bureau to steal by hacking? Would that would they still have to go to those offices and break in and get that information? So that's the that's the question I'm posting to you know, putting to both you guys. You know, is that information in the regional team or not? I would assume at this point it's like ninety nine percent. The only ones that they might not have info on are those weird little out of the way homes that somehow escaped um, notice. I say the county commissioner, whoever the unincorporated areas. Yeah, yeah, possibly that, or you know, those weird houses that just you know maybe had some major work done somehow without anybody noticing, and or in, any inspectors coming out to take a look at it, stuff like that. But yeah, I'd say right. for the most part, not like the vast majority right. of the. Well, you know, bad area. guys are always going to like pay off inspectors to to well, do yeah. special stuff. Yeah. But I'm but I, as you say, I think 99% of the time, you know, they all have to get permits. They all have to submit stuff that yes. you know, like lease floor plans or gen- general drawings and stuff that I think they would have. The question is, you know, so the question is, is it's 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 in a cabinet somewhere, or did it actually get in, get scanned and put into a computer file? So I'd say by this point, it's probably in a computer file. Yeah, if if we were still talking about like the eighties or nineties, that'd be a different matter. Yeah, that was what we did in the eighties and nineties when we were. But it, but it's it's in the twenty twenties now. The bureau would have made sure. Okay, we have a plant at such and such hall of records. Go in there during the night and just take pictures and well, just yeah. send them back. Well, yeah. yeah, and as is now, you know, now you don't even have to. I mean, you literally are in a situation where you know there are. Uh, I believe there are scanners in existence that can actually scan through a stack of papers, resolving each layer. It's kind of like a. You know, like an MRE, yeah, and and literally, right. can, you can scan stuff and get them, and 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 you don't actually, you know, so you you don't actually have to uh, uh, flip the pages 
which sometimes oh. can be a bit of a problem because you know it's you know some of it's really flimsy or they're different shapes and they're dog-eared and they don't want to flip easily. So you know it's not bound nicely into those big ledgers. But yeah, uh, but it's also now you know I had people saying just take your camera and just you know just if you just aim it at the page, bing, you got it. Okay, and just flip, 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 you know, and and uh, just you know go around and get maps on the walls and and anything, you know, because uh, I sort of figured, you know, in the ten years after they um, when the bureau went silent after the massacre of seventy seven, part of yeah. all that of when they said we're going to go, you know, really covert, I, I figured that they probably were shifting a lot of responsibility to the regional teams. And the regional bases, and so those guys. The reason they weren't out, you know, uh, uh, basically stalking the night, fantastic, you know, uh, hunting down the supernatural, instead making the roving teams do it, was because they were out literally building these databases by yeah. breaking into these various places. Uh, that's my personal opinion. I don't know. You guys might differ. No, facts are mine. I I have no problem with that head cannon. You know, okay. it's like the one the one referee on that celebrity death match. I'll allow it. Yep. Ah. Yep. <laughs> yes. Okay. And there there might be some places that they wouldn't be in the database because they literally are ancient, like some of these historical houses. But those places would have like societies that were linked to them, yeah. and they probably would have that information, and that would be where the uh, uh, you know the agents would go in, and you know. Get get the stuff because you know I don't understand people who don't back up what they do, but they still exist. I know they do. <laughs> I you know you know there's all these people. There's, you know there's companies that make their living off of trying to re- get information from computer hard drives. So you know it's well because uh, example of old houses that may have floor plans there. Uh, in my birth city, Wyandotte, Michigan, there is the Bacon Memorial Library. And it's this old three-story house right there in downtown Wyandotte near the hospital. And it was just a, a private residence, but the city of Wyandotte bought it. And it's reputed to have secret passages in it that, you know, the owners put in. Now, you know that the city of Wyandotte, whatever, you know, at their city hall, they're going to have records and floor plans of the Bacon home. So they would be there. And I mean, why not? Decent-sized city. I mean, it's not a small town at all. It's part of the downriver bedroom community south of Detroit. So, yeah, most, I would say, by now, most municipalities would have most of the buildings stored, you know, blueprints and, you know, various stuff added to it, permits to um, keep it up to code. They would have all that stored. And I mean, at the very least in books, at the very most, you know, online, where they could just print out the plan at will. I think the only places it wouldn't have it is like, you know, Podunk, in- and we're not bad-mouthing Indian, Indiana people, at Podunk, Indiana, or, you know, Gull, Har- Gull Hollow, Tennessee, you know, these little 30 or 40 resident municipalities. Most of the places in America would have all their stuff stored, all the plans of all the major buildings. I would think just by now, just, yeah. It would have to be a very small town not to have this stuff, at the very least, in in uh, hard copy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the hard copy means you have to go get it. Well, yeah, but still, I, I do like your idea that the Bureau, in that dark period post-massacre, mm-hmm. they would have been preparing 
all of this stuff because they would, you know, they'd be in that mindset, wait a minute, this happened to us. What if the entire nation is next? So they would have planned all that and just said, okay, we need plans for all buildings and just, yeah, just yeah. go out and yeah. Yeah, not to say that they, you know, that information hasn't been uploaded to Bangor, Maine since. I'm sure oh, that yeah. Bang, I'm sure that Bangor, Maine has a complete, you know, a complete compilation of all that stuff. Oh yeah. Okay, but you know, there's, there, you know, it's just like if you have a regional base in 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 Oregon, you probably don't care too much about you know the uh, the local uh, uh, haunted house in uh, you know in, in Connecticut. So you might not have that information there, but again, you know, uh, storage is cheap, so you might very well have it there. I don't know. Okay, so uh, so you got that, all right? So th that was one of the main things that you know is that all these resources that are there, and of course, you know, um, with with an appropriately leveled uh, um, smart system to dish it up, you know, effectively to you. Uh, we're not going to say an AI because that always brings all kinds of issues. But Richard, uh, in a lot of his uh, his games, talked about how there there are computer systems that are smart, but they're not aware. So yeah, I think the beer would be that way too because you know it's, there's just too many stories of beer thirteen where computers have you know gained sentience. Generally speaking, I would not expect. Um, the computer system in the bureau, even though it's a highly advanced, even though it's probably came from the fringeworthy, okay, yeah. it, it probably does not have an AI in it that's other than just a dumb, you know, smart system, you know, a super search engine, maybe. Hey, it's like like an advanced version of Clippy. God help us. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, and it, it would be you know a lot of pre-programmed responses yeah. and yeah. all that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, I see you're trying to br uh, figure out how to break into this building. Would you? <laughs> would you? Would you like me to help you build an action plan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the virtual intelligences from Mass Effect, they oh. look pretty close to to AI, but there's just that one little hitch that you can tell. Yeah, there's no real thinking right. going behind this hologram. Right. Well, th see, to me, this is super, super important after an apocalypse because what happens then is is that as you start gathering information of what is still available in the in the area, your computer system can start generating uh, uh, needs. You start it can start identifying where are the holes in the essential web of survival of the area. And things you might not notice, things you know, things that you know, because you don't know how. Most people, you know, you don't. Know, you can estimate how many people are still alive, how many resources they need, where those resources could be found, and where there are there places where there isn't enough. There's almost enough, but not quite enough. And you know what happens then, right, Jonathan? Oh, uh, somebody's going to find a way to get enough. Someone's going to find a way make of getting less people. it from somebody else. Yeah. That's where warfare breaks out, civil war. Either we're going to go get it from someone else, or someone else is going to make sure we have less people than we need. Well, that, that's that's the that's the way. Of, that's also the way of getting it. It's like either way, somebody's dying. Forward-thinking version of it. Okay, but uh, okay, somebody's dying. Somebody's dying. Uh, all right. Okay. So, all right. So they're going to have, like I said, all that stuff. Okay, and of course, 
you know, repair manuals for anything that's in operation in the in the bureau. You know, it, the, you know, for whether it be you know the actual systems in the house or the vehicles that are stored in the uh, motor pool or the weapons. Did I mentioned weapons already, uh, and of course a whole bunch of medical stuff. You know, just in case you know, um, you know, somebody comes in with a rash that seems to have a mind of its own, right? Uh, the oh. rash has a mind of its own. Yeah, the rash might have a mind of its own, so you might want to identify it real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would. I would. Yeah, because if you have to spend four hours getting the bagger main, that might you know you're outside the golden window. Okay, the golden hour is an hour. Okay, it's not going to work. So you know, unless the unless bagger main can say, oh yeah, there's this place is still operational. You need to get there like too sweet. Yeah, and you got a you got a teleporter in in your team, you know, then maybe you can do that. But, you know, I'm just saying is that there's it's really important to have a good diagnostic AI system for things like medical issues, especially depending upon the type of uh, uh of apocalypse it is, like Rogue Four Seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. So in that case they the, the Bureau couldn't do anything about it, but uh the Bureau certainly could it, they might they be you know as it was it was it was going down they could have been hacking for where the locations of the serum is and made sure all the agents got you know got some stuff yeah got 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 at least got inoculated because the bureau looks after its own right guys oh yeah all right. oh yeah number one okay because you know that's that's part that was part of the the pitch right you know you don't want you know, you want to be the hunters not the honeys right. Yep, predators, not prey. That's right. That's absolutely right. Although you end up being prey a lot anyway. Well, yeah. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the unspoken. Yeah. Well, fine you know, print. The, who you know, the, the hunters are also being hunted in any situation, right? You know, anybody who's ever gone face to face, literally face to face with a grizzly, says, you know, this gun doesn't seem as big as it did a second ago. Yeah. All right, Trav. What's the uh, what's number two? Well, let's see here. Um, having local contacts with the supernatural community and maybe safe places to move people out of the urban... We mentioned before that usually when most apocalyptic events occur, if there's any type... Of, well, like in a plague, you're going to have it in urban areas affect more because there's more people, more vectors of transmission. If it's some type of attack... Usually, you're going to attack urban centers, places with military and industry. So, the Bureau is going to want to have the safe places to get people out of the urban areas, if they especially know it's coming. They can sit there and, you know, convince local authorities, yeah, you might want to evacuate people from the cities. And the local contacts with the supernatural community, they would have that anyways, just as a matter of being a regional team. Team Candlestick, which is, it covers Michigan and pretty much like the, the Great Lakes area. Oh, no, they know all the cryptids. They know all the... Yeah, um, refer to our cryptozoology episode from a few years ago. Oh, no, Team Candlestick would know Shatan War. Yeah, because she'd be the main contact with, okay, these cryptids in this area, where do we find them? How do we contact them? So, yeah, they would already have that database set up. But as far as evacuating people from... Uh, urban areas, if they know stuff's coming, yeah, they'll just sit there and, you know, air quotes here, which I have to tell it because we're in an audio medium, to convince local authorities to enact evacuation protocols. Mm -hmm. 
like in Michigan, yeah, it'd be pretty much moving everybody, getting everybody out of the what we call the tri-county area, Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb counties. Yeah. And get them out toward the center, more toward the center of the state, probably like out past Ann Arbor. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the hardest things is for a regional team to do, but of course, it, it, they have the hometown advantage, is to convince those local authorities to use their resources, you know, their uh, uh, their advice without basically handing over those resources you know, directly to the government. Because I'm sure the government would love to come in and just t- set a base in the base. <laughs> yeah, considering uh, things, you know, if the 13th pocket is rigged to the team, so would the bases. The bases would have all sorts of um, protocols that if somebody was in that base and didn't belong there, at the very least, they would be contained. At the very most, they might be <clears throat> eliminated. You know, just depending on how paranoid the team is, you know. If it's truly paranoid, they might be eliminated with the base. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're going to go for the scorched earth thing, and then they'll, oh, yeah, no, it was a gas leak that blew up this this building in this part of town. You know, at post-apocalyptic, you really don't have to come up with those explanations. Well, yeah, yeah. 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 But, see, I'm reminded of the movie uh, Earthquake, where Charlton Heston is driving around trying to find something, and this guy who's apparently important in the relief effort, you know, flags him down, hops in the car, and says that I'm, you know, I'm confiscating, I'm, you know, whatever, you know, this vehicle. Commandeering the vehicle. Commandeering this vehicle. And Charlton Hesse says, no, I got to go do something or other, you know, and he says, he says, you uh, you misunderstand, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. And then the, the, uh, uh, and he makes Charlton Hesse get out of the car, he goes over, gets the driver's seat, and he tries to drive it. And he's grinding gears like crazy. And Charlton Hesse says, it has seven forward gears and th- and five reverse. And the guy just looks at him and gets out. And he says, all right, you're, a, you're you're an ambulance driver now. <laughs> Get back in the driver's oh, seat wow. and start yeah. driving. So, you know, eventually Charlton has to, you know, does succeed in finding the person he was trying to find. But I, I'm just saying is that that's... You know, I could see them saying, "Okay, you know, you're we're going in, but we're going in with you, and you're going to make sure that you know, with weird weird things start happening, like you know, unauthorized person in the uh, in, in the in the entryway. They're going to be like, you need to shut this down, you know. So if they killed everybody first and then went in, yeah, I could see that happening, but I also see it possibly where, and of course, you could have a quizzling." a member of the team that basically says, you know, I really think we need to help these people more. And if it means, you know, opening up the base to uh, non-bureau personnel, I'm I'm with it. So, you know, players are going to be players, right? Yep. <laughs> Whatever you think they're going to do, they're going to do. find a way to do both. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, you shouldn't expect every bureau agent to be lockstep, you know, whatever, no, you no. know, whatever the policy is. You know, because I know as play as a as a care, the few times I played when I wasn't the GM, I was always <laughs> out of sync with what the bureau wanted. Because I was like, I am a priest. He says my first obligation is to save these people's souls. You know, and then follow that their bodies. Okay, and following that, yeah, okay, we need to take care of the bureau. <laughs> yeah. So I would I would probably be the guy basically opening the door and say come on in, you know. Yeah. Uh ch- chief of uh, ch- uh not chief of police. Those guys I would probably shoot myself. Uh, but I Wow. Uh, 
Uh, be reminded, folks. Yeah, Bruce's this is iconic a game. Bureau character. Bruce's <laughs> iconic Bureau Thirteen character is Father Gill, a man of the cloth. Let's just put that out there right now. Okay, continue, sir. Yes, <laughs> but I'm just saying, in these kinds of circumstances where people tend to say these people are not as important as these people, it's okay to get you know to shuffle them off to the side. I would probably be the one saying, "Oh no, you can wait to eat, you big fat, pat, you know, big fat cow. This guy is going to eat your lunch." <laughs> Okay. Well, know. the thing is, also, you're going to have people who are just going to be like the the bureau, the thirteenth bureau of the U.S. government. The government has fallen. We're on our own. You guys want to follow a agency that is probably gone because in most apocalyptic events like that, government centers are going to be taken out. So it's like, okay, you're following an ideal. I'm not following rules anymore. We need to let these people in, or they're going to die. Yeah, well, you're going to have people yeah, of that mindset. Yeah, you know? if Bangor, Maine is out, is no longer in contact, then I would say, yeah, yeah, you're right. But if it's still in existence, it's you know, it's it's essentially the, the it's still the the uh, marshalling center for the bureau. Yeah. So Here, here's my thing about all this with because we're going to talk about like, and I think we've already talked about like communications and all that with the bureau. Um, Computer backup and resources. I would consider communications to be part of that. Yeah. And, and I keep forget quantum, all bars everywhere all the time. Quantum entanglement. Quantum entanglement. The Bureau would have a foolproof quantum entanglement system if the event happened. Yeah. Everybody, you would be able to contact everybody in the yeah, Bureau. Yeah, that's how your phones work. Yeah, but I mean, in a case of an apocalyptic event where society collapses... The Bureau, that would be their thing that would be what would keep them going. Because then they could call other regional and roving teams and say, okay, it is the bomb protocol. Yeah. You all know what to do. Yeah. It's, it's the ultimate, you know, peer-to-peer WAN. Yeah. Yeah. I'm being reminded of the um, the video game series by Ubisoft, The Division, where the, the whole premise is that, you know, you're playing a sleeper agent in America who's there specifically to help rebuild America after civilization has fallen. Okay. And I definitely see the Bureau kind of taking on that role. It's like, if the rest of the government falls, the Bureau's going to be like, okay, well, we're the government now. Uh, yeah, we're the 13th Bureau of the Justice Department, which is the government. If we're what's left, yeah, we're going to take over things. Not martial law, but just to make sure that you know people are safe. Well, we're going to rebuild, and you know, unless what we talked about in the last episode, we, we talked about this was, you know, we're going to rebuild things until we can get the government back up and running, yes, right, in a proper manner. But yeah, we've got, we're going to have our agents all over America, and we're yeah. going to be in contact with them instantly. And say, all right, guys, this is what you're doing. Right. Yeah, we're- this is, and and I'm sure that regional base command, it, you know, it's like in in next gen where you have to be captain level or higher to know about the omega pro, the omega particle protocol where the ship just locks up and the captain has to go in the ready room, oh, okay, an Omega particle's been detected. You would have, I would think, roving and regional base lead, or regional team leaders be given a list of protocols that they would have to, okay, this is the bomb protocol, this is the vi- virus protocol, mm-hmm. this is the Armageddon protocol, where, you know, heaven and hell basically have taken over Earth. Whatever way society ends, I'm sure that lead- team leaders, roving and regional, would have these protocols that they are taught, okay, this is what you are to have your team to do if this <clears throat> if this particular type of fecal matter hits the the air oscillator, you know. 
I would think that they would all be trained in that and then go from there once they would just enact that plan. Not only that, but they'd have to have the equipment to support their enacting of that plan. Yes. At the yes. regional bases, which is one of the reasons why mm. I think regional bases are a little bit bigger than you think they are, because you can't have that really, you know, in the roving teams. They only have the RV. Yeah. But the regional right. teams have room to spread out enough to have ex- stuff in storage for decades, if not centuries, you yeah. know, in anticipation of these things happening. Yeah, and I, if yeah, if you're going with the idea that yeah, these are you know essentially fallout shelters for if the bureau fails its its primary mission and and the as Rav said the fecal matter has hit the oscillator then you know, oh, the yeah, omega I level event happened yes yeah <laughs> yes if these are omega level pre- you know preparedness bunkers then oh yeah they're they're going to be big and with advanced construction techniques and because remember. We, you know, we're, as I said, the last official edition of Bureau 13 was OGL. We use progress levels for that. Bureau is PL7. You could program nanites to build miles of underground passages and chambers and whatnot to store all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, a lot of these regional bases, like Bruce said, they would be a lot bigger than you think. Mm-hmm. And they would be just. I mean, some could go for miles. I wasn't no thinking miles, but I was well, thinking okay, maybe, like, maybe. Yeah, I was thinking possibly as large as a city block after you go down and far enough that, you know, when you spread out, you know, basically undermining the property of the buildings next to you, it doesn't cause the buildings to collapse. <laughs> well, yeah, you'd have to go down deep enough where there's enough bedrock so you don't have this entire you know, three block area, just go ka-chunk about a hundred feet. No, yeah. you're going to, but once you get deep enough to support that, yeah, you could. But if it happens, then you can just blame those sinkholes like they do up in Alaska. Yeah, 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 yeah. And down in Florida. Yeah, they mm-hmm. am there too. Yeah. I can imagine that these, um, these probably would, there would be like feet and feet of yards and yards of facilities in these regional bases that are unknown until an Omega event happens that nobody in that base, except for maybe the base commander even knows that, you know, if the, if just the wrong signal gets sent out by banger, these walls come down and there's hundreds of yards, square feet of uh new facility. there just waiting to be used. Oh, shades of Eureka. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe that's something for our GMs to think about. You know, uh, because, you know, you, you have the configuration that, that, that the team members, even the regional team members norm, normally see. But then there's the, especially if they have programmable nanites that can work behind the scenes to, you know, uh, enlarge the facility without the, the primary team members knowing about it. Yeah, yeah. that would be that would be cool to say, you know, what are we going to do now? Well, we could always fly out of here. What are you talking about? <laughs> You know, and you know the thing starts transforming, and now you got a heliport on the roof. You know, <laughs> got that thing that goes. You know, like like in the back in the in the in the in the 
the 70s. Okay, they had lots of movies where you just go and land, you, you know, the helicopter would go and land, you know, on, on, on a parking lot. And the, and the helicopter pilot would get out and leave and says, you stay here. You know, and then all of a sudden, the entire parking, you know, a big chunk of the parking lot just starts lowering down. And they take a top shot and it's just, just see the little lights along the side that they show as from the inside saying, that's very five feet. You just see this this ring of lights, this long line of lights that goes down, 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 down. I'm specifically thinking about um, uh, the uh, um, the uh, uh, Incredible Voyage, was it? Where they all got shrunk down? Fantastic Voyage. Fantastic Voyage. Fantastic. And they had that base. They take Stephen Boyd down, 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 and then, you know, and then everyone's running around everywhere on golf carts. <laughs> Down below. I'm the, I'm getting shades of um, Andromeda Strain with the yeah. That was a pretty small five quarantine level. Yeah, it was small, but that's all because it only needed to house five scientists. Yes. Oh yeah, and their support staff. But they, yeah. they they had to they had to go through all those layers of uh, of decontamination. Oh so. well, yeah. Well, that was that one was specifically for researching you know diseases. So right. made sense in that. Right. Okay. All right. So, anyways, so like I said, the regional base could be bigger than you think. Okay, which means there'd be more resources available in the case of a you know apocalypse. Okay, but even if you don't say that, okay, just looking at what the facilities that are at a regional base might make it larger than you might have originally thought. Because first of all, you've got the living quarters for all the team members. Okay, and we're not you know it's not built out like a submarine okay it's going to be like you know it, it i mean i've got three people and we've got a three-story house here okay so you know including basement you know and um so i imagine that if you had seven or eight people on a team okay you'd have kind of like you know mini apartments for each of them you know plus some extra building for uh, uh roving teams who might stop in or in case, you know, and, and perhaps a, cons, you know, containment area, you know, for the supernatural where, who are being held there until, um, you know. Proper detainment. Well, be. until somebody can come and get them and take them to someplace proper, yeah, as you said. Yeah. So, you know, and, and they're going to have the full, you know, facilities for eating and all that stuff like that for that number of people. So everything's going to be a, a, a little bit larger. I would think they'd be at least as big as my house. You know, it's just the basic facility for those people. And, uh, yeah. you know, and because I've got what was one, theoretically, we have one, two, three, four, five possible bedrooms in this house that we only really haven't set up for three. Um, so I'm just saying that's, uh, you know, in, in a pinch, we could, you know, so seven or eight people would be like another third of this house size. That's pretty big. So yeah, yeah, and and like I said, that doesn't even get into the, the the workshops and the motor pool. You know, I mean, most of the time when you you know when you go to a motor pool, you know, they say, hey, we you know Colorado, you know, we need this vehicle left in a in, in a parking lot at the airport so we can use it when we do our thing. Well, I I always figured it came from the regional base. Somebody hopped in there and drove it out of the motor pool and drove it over there. So. They had a fairly large amount of vehicles besides what what just not you know their own personal RV. They probably had you know uh, I would think that they would have at least a fire truck 
um, because those all you, you, you those always get to go go through the red lights, you know. <laughs> um, Fire truck and ambulance. Well, the ambulance, you know, as we talked about uh, when we were talking about the. Um, disposal elimination teams one of the versions of the disposal elimination truck was an ambulance no i like what they did in hellboy it was a massive garbage truck that oh, they just drove oh, okay yeah. well yeah, yeah still that's yeah. a pretty big thing but yeah. i'm just saying is this so you got a you you got a um you know and then uh and then you you probably have some kind of a uh you know, whether you you want to keep you want to reuse the uh, fire truck as a can- as a tanker Okay, but you might have a tank truck just for the purpose of carrying other liquids, possibly dangerous liquids. Okay, then you're going to have just a, a a bunch of panel trucks like the size of a 17 footer, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, vehicle for going across the country, moving dam. Okay, not including you know the motorcycles, not including any boats they might have, not including. Uh, the uh, sports cars and and the uh, uh, classic government-looking uh, K cars, black sedans, yeah, yeah, black sedans yeah. or whatever like that. So I'm just saying, is that I, I see the motor pool as being you know considerably sized, and of course you have to have the facilities to be able to do maintenance and modification on all those vehicles. You know, um, I would say probably the motor pool then would be the biggest damn part of this whole base because you would just need all space for all these vehicles and maintenance thereof. I I, I almost want to say that. it could be its own thirteenth pocket kind of. Oh yeah, that could be used extra too. Extra dimensional. Oh no, you could have extra dimensional area. rooms. Well, it doesn't in re- these bases. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really change the fact that it's still space that's there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you know and. You know, okay, so, but we, we agree that that's a, you know, a, a pretty big area, okay? Yeah. Especially with all the oh, yeah. resources yeah, yeah. that you get. Because you're going to have welding stations and drill presses and lays and all these things that are necessary to work with stock to, you know, modify these vehicles. And, and yeah, and you're going to need areas, um, uh, all the stuff necessary for lifts if you got to get under the car. Repair. Right. A lift takes up a lot of space. And it's going to have to be I able just... to lift. Uh, well, it doesn't have to be able to lift an RV because you could also just have like one of those little walk down underneath. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't always. Yeah, like an oil change area. Right, right. Yeah. right. You could also work from under there. You know, maybe have a, li- a lift on the bottom of that to raise it up and down depending upon, you know, how much clearance the vehicle has. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things like that, you know. Um, and I, that's where, like, Waldos would be really cool that can reach over and grab stuff. And Yeah, you know, yeah. So you could have all that kind of cool stuff going on there, too. So, yeah, but it's a pretty big spot area. I agree. Okay, so um, the uh, – and, uh, you know, one of the things that I've always believed is, is that they have essentially – uh, at least the size of a mass unit, a, a field-level hospital medical facility that's going to have the ability to do, you know, things like uh, MREs, or they have to have some kind of magical device that does it, okay? Because agents are going to come in, and some of them are not human, and they can't take them to the hospital. So, yeah. 
you got to get and you know, or you got people that were injured uh, at another another location, and again, you don't want to take them to the local hospital because you know you have to explain that glowing fungus on half their body. You know, yeah, so yeah, you yeah. need an area that you know that can handle doing that kind of stuff. And of course, you're going to need isolation in there and other things like that. So I figured that's a it's not going to be the size. It's at least the size of an operating room plus some of these, like, and radiology combined. Yeah, you're going to need lab space, too, for all these machines. Well, lab space is surprisingly small. My wife could tell you that. Those those things are amazing. But it's still, yeah, it's the size of, you know, of, of a normal you know, doctor's office, let's say, you know, because you could have examination yeah. tables, you're going to have, you know, so they have to have enough size for that, okay? And, Post-op ward you're going to need, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and the thing is, is that not, you know, that doesn't assume that the person who is, that the personnel there on the, t- on the regional team are able to use that level of machinery, Sometimes those well, people are going to come in and use it, you know. Age, uh, well, also, because of the computer technology that the Bureau has, I mean, you're not going to have Termellern Dock Box or Enshanty Dock Box level tech. Right. But you are going to have the dumb AI with complete knowledge of human anatomy and physiology and biochemistry and and. Endocrine. I always mess Endo- up this endocrine. Endo- End- endocrinology. Yes, endocrinology. And you just, said it right. It's a good job. Well, yeah, but I have to force myself to say it. I always mess up that word. Uh, <laughs> I, but you're going to have the computer helping you out, which in OGL, it would give, like, you could say, oh, it gives a plus eight to treat injury or heal checks, you know. And it, there might be the Waldos that are moving around and mixing your chemicals for you. After, yeah, give me, you know, 10 cc's of whatever and you know get it into the hypo yeah. and go over there and inject that patient that Ben there, there's the Waldo you know I'm getting visions of the Andromeda Strain movie yeah, well, again yeah, that, that's fine but but if as I said we're going by tech levels here since it's the last one's OGL PL7 medical technology take a look at D20 future and future tech by wizards mm-hmm. some the medical tech at PL7 which is where the bureau is is fantastic Short of, you know, putting a stump on, you know, putting some, you know, interface on a stump and it regrows an arm for you, PL7 tech for medical is damn advanced. Yeah. So the Bureau would have would, would take a hold of that. The hospital and the lab areas and all that would not be quite as big as you think because everything would, you know, as you get better technology, it's condensed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, your lab could cover like eight, nine different disciplines in the life sciences. Mm-hmm. Biology, botany, zoology, biochemistry, what have you. Right. And so I would just see that the labs would have the specialized computers for everything of life sciences. Waldos, chemical um, fabricators. Oh, we need something of this chemical composition, you know, a couple minutes. Here you go. Here's a vial of it. So, yeah. And also nanotech. So, yeah, you the hospitals would be quite advanced where you wouldn't need to be a doctor to use it. Right. Because that computer would be giving you the information. Okay, hit these buttons and yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe yes, maybe no. We'll we'll see about that. But it's uh. But then that's where that's where we a question we haven't answered is is it can somebody who's in Bangor, Maine, 
uh, who is an expert like that, and you, you know, is are, are they able to do telepresence through the uh, spooky connection and uh, and do the surgery for you at the regional base? I would. Oh, oh yeah. Oh no, the techno. Oh no, PL seven technology. Yeah, you could have a guy with Waldo's a thousand miles away doing it, and as long as nothing gets on the camera lens, yeah, yeah, you're blocking my view. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. I mean, we're already testing this kind of technology out now. So, oh yeah, yeah. The bureau has mastered it by this point. I'd oh say. yeah. Okay. Well, all right. So you know, you had, but the point is, you still have to have room for the robots too. So yeah. Oh yeah. Anyways, um. The uh, my my wife in in um, uh, in a in a recent procedure, they said, "Do you want uh, do you want the surgeon to do it, or do you want the robot to do it?" <laughs> just look, she just looked at me, and says, "I don't know which one would do a better job." And they said, "I I I, I can see Beth's eyebrow just raising." And I mean, she yeah, you said she works in <laughs> lab, so she has a little bit better knowledge of medical tech, but still. You want surgery or robot? Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> well, when they say that this procedure takes like twelve hours to do, this was not what they did, by the way. Um, but there are procedures that take like twelve hours. The ro- the oh, robot yeah. doesn't get fatigued. <laughs> yeah, the robot doesn't have to go out and use the bathroom and have the nurses keep things. Yeah, going. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. and what they said was that well, we'll let the we'll let the robot, you know, uh, the, we'll let the doctor take a look, and if you think the robot can handle it, we'll let the robot do it. You know, and uh, and uh, you know, and of course, if there's any issues, he could just jump right in there. You know, and so that's how. Well, yeah, you're not going to let the robot go unsupervised. You're still going to have. Well, I'm just saying, though, is is that you know they the, the basically they the, the the she agreed to let the surgeon make the call because she yeah. could have just said no. It just has to yeah. has to be oh, yeah. human hands on 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 knives and sutures. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. we'll leave the robot for the next person. Because I always tell the doctors every time that I'm involved in any kind of procedure or she is, I'm saying, look, you've got to promise me that this is not going to appear in any medical journals. Yeah, I'm not your guinea yeah. pig. Yeah. It's never <laughs> a good thing when, you, when it appears no. in a, a medical, medical journal. Well, if it's, a, if it's a success, yeah, failure, not so much. Yeah, but, well, but we tried it on still this, experimental for it yeah. to show up, you yeah. know. I says, I want this to be typical, routine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> with an expected, we tried wearing bunny ears for this result. surgery. Yeah, yeah. As 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 Bruce gets close to the doctor, with as little possibility for mistake as possible. Right, right. So, anyways, the the uh, but of course, you know, with the bureau, since you are dealing with supernatural creatures and such, there's a lot of room for error. Well, yeah. I mean, this. Oh, I'm sure that there are medical personnel um, trained. And knowledgeable in, okay, we have a guy who's a who's a lycanthrope, and we have him stuck in a hybrid form. This is not exactly it is humanoid physiology, but not human. Yes. Okay, we might need to have a uh, xenophysician dealing with the different musculature and skeletal structure of a werebear yeah. and and silver okay, restraints. Yeah. <laughs> that too, yeah, yeah. But I mean, he would know. Okay, this is the hybrid between human and animal physiology. Exactly. Bring him yeah. in. Yeah. So you would have to have these specially trained. And Bangerman could just teleport him in. That's well, fine. they probably would. That's what I'm saying. Is that they yeah, would probably yeah. use telepresence. That's one way of kind of getting. Out. You know, there's a. We we keep talking about this in my group. You know about what you know how how can we get out past the limitation of the four hour. 
you know, um, you're four hours from wherever you want to be when anytime you leave Bangor, Maine, you know, so, uh, and, and you can't jump, go out and be four hours away and then just teleport because the magic takes that into account. <laughs> so yeah. things, you wouldn't be, things would start happening that would keep you from leaving at that, if that was actually your intent. So, um, uh, or ba- uh, really bad things would happen when you arrived. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Anyway, so my point here was is that um, uh, it's cool to the idea of saying you could actually have somebody come in over telepresence and actually manage to pull that off. That's that's where I like seeing the robotics in the game. That's that's what I think is cool. So, but uh, that's me, and other GMs may differ on that. Yeah, your mileage may vary, yep. folks. Okay, so you got that as well. So we, we talked about you know the the larger than you might have expected um, uh, motor pool, the larger than you might have expected medical facility, the larger than you might have expected um, uh, living quarters, just because people are going to be living there, you know, um, and it's not like you're living in a dorm, uh, you know, and. Um, yeah, everybody would have like a mini yeah, apartment, things, living room, I'm just sitting area, dining so area. This place actually has, a, and there's going to be there's going to be storage areas and 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 um uh and work areas for like machining and stuff like that. So you got that too. So that yeah. all goes in, you know. And we're not we're not even talking about like you know the industrial sized tanks of fuel, water, you know. And, and and possible nuclear reactor to fuel well, the base, I was thinking, or, you know, geothermal. I was thinking of gases that are used a to power to power Colorado RV systems and the base electronics, because um, according to how we wrote it up in D twenty modern, uh, it's actually a fuel cell. It's a, the the Colorado yeah, RV yeah, yeah. is an electric vehicle yeah. with a JATO unit attached to it. <laughs> a what? Uh, uh, jet assisted and uh, assist takeoff. I mean, oh, okay. they they're, right. they're those are actually solid solid um, material rockets. They attach to the wings of like he- really heavy cargo planes, like Hercules, on short runways to get them up in the air. Okay, so oh, okay. Uh, but I'm just saying is that when they say it has this boost capability and such, there's uh, according to John, who basically came up with this idea that they vent the hydrogen, some of the hydrogen they use to run the the um, uh, the cell, you know, the, the power cell, they vent it out the back yeah. as basically rocket exhaust, which, yeah, of course, okay. it does lower the amount of range on the RV because you're using it for that. But it means that when you need it, you've got rocket, you you got, you know, you got kit level jet assist on a... You will get away from on almost a, anything On a giant vehicle. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Anyways, uh, so that you need all that all that storage for all that stuff there. So, but that's yeah, not going to be yeah. accessible to people, but it's still got to be there. And, and because yeah. when, when the, 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 it hits the fan and, you know, the grid goes down and the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the gas lines stop working and the water lines stop working and uh, the sewers back up because they, they have pumps yeah. to keep that all running. Okay, then everything has to be run from what's already stored inside the the base. So the, you know, and you know, so they have to be with that disaster playing. They have to be large enough to provide us, you know, for either the, as you put it, the duration, or for a larger group of people. Because in those kind of circumstances, you you might 
want to call in the, the roving teams and give them a place to, 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 to survive the apocalypse. Okay. And yeah. there's some other people you might want to bring in, like the Friends of the Bureau. And then there's a third group that uh, we haven't mentioned yet, and that's the same thing that the government does when you see in some of these movies where a van pulls up outside this, some person's house and says, you're on the list, get in the van. You know, you're an essential person. And the yeah. Bureau, I think, would have, a, a, or at least the racial team, would have a list of those people that if they knew it was it was going down, if they had some kind of warning, or even if they did, and they had vehicles that could... Uh, bear, you know, like mini tanks or something like that, that could bear being out there in the after immediate aftermath of the apocalypse, they might go looking for some of those those essential people like thoracic surgeons, uh neurosurgeons, um, you know, uh ec- you know, people who are um technically, technically adept. adept. It's like, yeah. okay, we 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 need people who can deal with hydraulics, electronics, uh, mechanics. The people that are in, um, yeah, anyone at the top the of their field. Who understand how all the systems in the uh, in the in the immediate area work, so that they, so that they yes. you know, keep them alive. So afterwards, they know what to do to put it all back together. Uh, did you guys watch the the the, the miniseries of the movie The Stand? I haven't. No, uh, I know of it. I've not. Which yet. one? Because they've done two versions. It doesn't matter. Okay, so. They get they get to Boulder, Colorado. Uh, uh, they they get to you know the the, the uh, Boulder Dam. Okay, it's not working. All right, and they and they want it to work. So a couple of people who are like electricians and such start trying to figure out how to get the generators to work to send the water through and start producing power for the town. And they figure it out. Uh, you know, uh, and. But you know, it wouldn't have been great if they if somebody had gone and grabbed somebody who actually knew how to maintain that kind of industrial facility, someone who knew how to turn back on the power at the generator stations, or you know, whatever. You know, that's there are people that have that kind of expert knowledge that you might need because there might be interdependent systems that you need to turn this on before you can turn that on. So you, there might be a list of people that really need to hunker down with the bureau, and they're gonna. And of course, you have to decide whether just to grab them or take their families. So I'm just saying that's one of the reasons I thought that the the, the, you know, the bureau uh, regional team might be a little bit larger than some people might imagine in anticipation for this. Yeah, I would. Okay, I I would think. Okay. This for and 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 we agree that most regional teams would be about six people. So you have very nice, decent accommodations for that half dozen people. Then you would have a series of dormitory areas for visitors and these essential personnel and people that you need to keep there. They're not going to get the best rooms, but they're going to, you know, what the old saying, three yeah. slops in a Some flop, people are going to you know? get billeted yeah. down in the, uh, uh, in, in the vehicle depot. That's fine, you know, they'll they'll sleep, you know, they'll and you would have the supplies to set up temporary, you know, cot area. And, yeah, you know. We have this area yeah, yeah, yeah. And just but we could hold at the most, you know, oh, we could hold like five dozen people down here. I mean, granted you're gonna be sleeping on a cot and it's gonna be rations, but you're not gonna die. And of course the team of course they're gonna have their like I would say probably 
the apartments, and they would basically be that. My apartment here is 750 square feet, I think. It's two bedrooms, one bath. I have a galley kitchen and, you know, walk-in closet. Not a bad size apartment. I would think the bureau apartments for the regional team would be about the size mm-hmm. of a decent apartment. I, I agree. Yeah. I think so, too. You'd have, like, the living living dining area, like I have, a galley kitchen, or as I call it, my hallway with appliances, two bedrooms and a bath, and my, my bedroom right. has a walk-in closet. I mean, even, so, even better than the average apartment over in Japan, when you see those kinds of apartments they have. Oh, they really yeah. Do, yeah they they yeah. try really hard to squeeze everything in there. So. Well, yeah, I've I've seen the coffin hotels. Yeah. Well, I'm not talking about yeah. where they put you in a tube. I'm saying is that some of the apartments where they have a loft and then there's a set of, there's either a ladder or a set of stairs that can usually get out of the way, and then you've got a you know a a, a couch and a television across from it, and then there's their kitchen, and then there's a little mini bathroom, and then you're out. <laughs> you're out the door. That's it. Oh, you mean? Oh, you mean it's so afraid you got to step outside to change your mind? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you're lucky, you have a little balcony that's literally that big. But no, um, I would think that in the case of okay, we need to store a bunch of people down here. All these essential personnel, maybe their families, friends of the bureau. Okay, set up the emergency accommodations. Yeah, they might be sleeping. You know how they'll in in movies you've seen it. They'll take over. Like close off. I think they didn't Revenge of the Nerds. Okay, it's this big curtain, and they just have a bunch of cots set up in like half of a gym. Mm-hmm. They would probably do that for the motor pool. They okay, let's move all these vehicles over, set this up for emergency accommodation, set up the cots, you know, porta potties, you know, bathing areas, you know, at least you know privacy areas. Yeah, we can hold these people here for maybe a month or two, and they'll be safe. So you would have that stuff in storage, the emergency accommodation protocol equipment. So. Yeah. At least I would think that. And just, okay, yeah, get out, roll out the cots and everything. Yeah, let's go. We got to get these people. Okay. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to us as we expanded on our post apocalyptic Bureau 13. And um, if you have any, if you can imagine anything else we haven't covered, uh, please let us know on our Facebook pages, uh, fans of uh, Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Uh, or uh, leave us a message on Podbean, or send us a note to any of our personal email accounts uh, that you can easily find us on the web. Uh, and Or social media, Facebook, what have you. All three of us are right, on Facebook. Right. So, yeah. And we will be glad to listen to you. And, um, and who knows? If you have a really, really good idea, we might even put you on the podcast so you can basically lay it all out. Because we uh, we love to hear how people have taken these properties and really run with it and brought the awesome to their game because that's what we're all about. So and we oh, will yeah. have more for you next week, but you have to wait until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts, is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license, no commercial reproduction, and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast.
Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.